Well, good morning to all of you. I greet you in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. For those of you who may be visiting and for those watching my live streaming, let me explain that uh, I am a member of this congregation, not the pastor. The pastor, Glenn Meredith, is being honored all this month uh, for having spent 40 years with this congregation, he and his wife, Carol. And we've been honoring them in every way we could. And one way was to give him the month off. And this weekend, he happens to be in Branson, Missouri, but he said he's going to be watching by streaming. So, hello, Carol and Glenn, and may the Lord bless your vacation time together. Let me give you a little background about me before we get started, and that is that my name is Dave Reagan, and um, I spent the first 20 years of my life as a university professor teaching international law and politics. And then in 1980, the Lord convicted me that I was to give up my academic career and step out in faith and form a Bible prophecy ministry. And so I did that, and I called it Lamb and Lion Ministries. And the reason I called it that is because, again, it's a Bible prophecy ministry that teaches the fundamentals of Bible prophecy and proclaims the soon return of Jesus. And those two symbols there are the two symbols used by the Old Testament prophets to speak of the Messiah, that He would come first as a suffering lamb and He would return as the conquering lion. I might say that we get a call or an email message or something that seems like almost every day somebody's saying, I know that somewhere in the Bible it says the lamb will lie down with the lion, but I can't find it. Where is it? And we have to inform them it's not there. Never does the Bible say that. The Bible says the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the lion will eat straw with the ox. Certainly they will coexist together in peace during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. One lady even argued with me. She said, I get a Christmas card every year with that on there. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere. I said, well, <laughs> no, that doesn't make it in the Bible. Um, on uh, June the 1st of this past year, I decided to retire as the director of that ministry and its chief evangelist. And the person who succeeded me was Colonel Tim Moore, who we feel very blessed to have as my successor. In fact, uh, Tim is here this morning, right over here with his wife, Amy. And you might want to meet them afterwards. And uh, Tim has taken over the direction of the ministry. And uh, this morning we have, I have with me, I think, some copies of our magazine. Maybe not, but we do have, we put out a magazine. And primarily what my responsibility now is, I've moved my office to my home. And my responsibility is to write an article for each issue of the magazine and to write books. And uh, my first book that I have finished since uh, my retirement was published last week, and it's called America's Suicide. And the copies of that, uh, together with copies of our catalog, will be available on the display table in the foyer after this presentation. I want to talk with you this morning about the importance of Bible prophecy. And let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for the way you have already blessed us this morning in worship and in fellowship. And I pray now that you will bless as I preach. Anoint my sermon with your Holy Spirit and enable it to touch lives for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we have gathered here this morning for three reasons. First, we have come to worship the Lord, which we've just been doing. The second reason is to strengthen our commitment to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the third reason we're here this morning is to honor our pastor, Glenn Meredith, and his wife, Carol, as they celebrate their 40th anniversary with this church. 
For 25 years, my wife and I attended the same church. It was a little country church located in Lucas. Lucas is between Allen and Wiley. Now, if you were to drive through it recently, you wouldn't know it's a little country church because it's not out in the country anymore. That whole area is filled with big luxury homes now. But that's where we were for 25 years. And then in 2016, the Lord began to prod me to leave and go to a new church. And I hated that prodding. I really did because I have been through it many times before. And I'll tell you, looking for a new church is a very frustrating, tiring process. Visiting church after church, and you know, you, you find one that has great preaching and bad worship, and you find one with great worship and bad preaching, and you find one with great preaching, great worship, but they don't have a missions program or any programs for the youth. So I mentioned this one morning to the staff as we were having a staff meeting, and I told them I'm going to start looking for a new church, and let's pray for God to have mercy on me and let me find one quickly. And after the meeting was over, one of the members of the staff, a fellow by the name of Brett Everett, who had been on the staff of this church years before, told me, he said, David, you ought to start your search with the Brookhaven Church. And I said, well, you know, I, I have great respect for the Brookhaven Church, but I, I don't want to drive 25 miles to church down on Marsh Lane and LBJ. And he said, David, they have moved to McKinney. They're meeting in a, in a shopping center up here. So I started my church search by going to Brookhaven when it was down the road here a little way, meeting at a shopping center. That was in 2016. And the morning I arrived, I went to a Sunday school class that was being taught by the administrative minister, Mike Mossberg. And Mike was teaching the book of Revelation. I thought, wow, very few churches ever even approach the book of Revelation. And here I am, I'm a prophecy teacher, and, and that was great. I, I got excited about it. I got even more excited when I went to the worship service, and the pastor, Glenn Meredith, was preaching through the book of Revelation. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It was just really great. And uh, then I fell in love with the two worship leaders, Chris Barker and Brett Meredith at that time, and I just fell in love with the worship. And, and then I, I uh, was overwhelmed by the friendliness of the congregation, how friendly everyone was. And I was hooked. And I've been at this church ever since then. And as we say in Texas, I have had my socks blessed off continually from the beginning. Now, one of the things that I highly respect about every member of the staff of this congregation is that every one of them believe in teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God. The Old Testament, the New Testament, from creation in Genesis to the eternal state in the book of Revelation. And that is very unusual. It's very unusual these days to find a church that preaches the whole counsel of God, to find a church that will even touch the Old Testament, much less uh, Bible prophecy. In fact, the situation has become so critical that one of the most common questions that we receive at our ministry from people all over the nation, a question is this one. Do you know of a Bible-believing and preaching church in the area in which I live? Well, that's sad because at most churches today you're going to hear pop psychology or you're going to hear warmed-over homilies from the Reader's Digest, but that's it. You're not going to hear the Word of God. In fact, I would argue that today in American Christendom there is a famine of the Word of God. You won't find it at this church, but there is a famine of the Word of God. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Back in the 1980s when I started this ministry, I had a radio program, and so people became acquainted with the ministry through that. 
And I was invited to go to the largest Methodist church in Dallas to teach a Sunday school class that had about 150 people in it, met in a small auditorium. Biggest Sunday school class I'd ever seen. The class teacher was out of town, and that's why they invited me to speak. And I got up and I said, okay, I'm glad to be here. We're going to study Bible prophecy. I said, please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. And not one person moved. Everybody sat there just like this. And I said, how many of you have a Bible? Not one person of the 150 had a Bible. Now, this was before cell phones. So not only did not have a Bible, <laughs> they did not have a cell phone with a Bible on it. And so I thought, well, how am I going to teach Bible prophecy and nobody has a Bible? Well, I went ahead and tried. When the class was over, I asked the class president, what does the teacher teach here in this class? He said, well, he doesn't teach the Bible. I said, what does he do? He said, every Sunday morning he comes and he reads an article out of the Dallas Morning News. And he asks us how we should respond to that particular problem that the article raises. And he says it ends up with the Democrats debating the Republicans. And that was the essence of Bible study at that church. Give you another example. Back in the 80s also, I went to a Presbyterian church in the Mid-Cities area. And they asked me to speak on Sunday night, and they had about 100 people there. So I got up and I asked people to open their Bibles. I was going to teach them some, something from the book of Daniel, and I asked them to open their Bibles, and nobody moved. And so I said, how many of you have a Bible? Not a single person. So the pastor jumped up and he said to the deacons, I want all the deacons to go through all the Sunday school classes and gather up the Bibles. And while they did that, I led everybody in a song. When the deacons got back, they said, we can't find any Bibles in this church. At that point, the pastor got up, went to his office. He got 10 Bibles. He came back. He organized the 100 people into 10 groups, gave each group a Bible. And I said, okay, now turn to the book of Daniel. And they searched, and they searched, and they searched, and nobody could find the book of Daniel. Had no idea where it was. I finally gave them a little, you know, Bible survey course about Old Testament, New Testament, and so forth. And we got the book of Daniel, and we were ready to start, at which point the, suddenly the pastor stood up and said, I'm sorry, but I don't allow the book of Daniel to be read in this church. He said, you obviously are not a seminary graduate, because if you were, you would know that the book of Daniel is a fake and shouldn't even be in the Bible. That's the kind of stuff I've run across over and over and over for 40 years. I'm telling you, my friends, biblical ignorance is particularly strong in Bible churches today and particularly strong in the area of Bible prophecy. The latest book I've just finished and just sent off last uh, couple of days ago to the printer, probably ready in eight weeks, is one that's addressed to this particular topic. The Bible to this topic of read me, and that is, what's the difference in a millennium and a millipede? The reason I named it that is because over 40 years of teaching Bible prophecy, I came to the conclusion that most preachers and most laymen didn't know the difference in a millennium and a millipede, because they never had studied anything about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. In that regard, there's an old joke that's been going around for years about four pastors who were talking to each other one day, and one of them said, you know, uh, I, I don't know you guys too well. Let, let's all reveal to each other what our position is on Bible prophecy. And the first one said, well, I'm premillennial. And the second one said, well, I'm amillennial. The third said, well, I'm postmillennial. And the fourth one didn't say a word. He just sat there. And they said, now, come on, come on. We've revealed what we are. What are you? He said, well, I guess the best way to 
sum up my viewpoint, he shrugged his shoulders, would just say, I am a pan-millennialist. A pan-millennialist. I just believe it's all going to pan out in the end. Well, you know, the first time I heard that joke, I laughed at it. But I won't tell you one thing for sure. I don't laugh at it anymore. I have some reasons for that. Let me, let me give an example of, of this pan-millennial attitude. For many years, I used to teach at a conservative Bible seminary in Seattle, Washington. I'd go up there once a year and teach for a week. And I'd teach an in-depth course on Bible prophecy. It was an interdenominational seminary. It had people from all denominations. And one year, after I gave my opening lecture, a young man came up and identified himself as a pastor of a Lutheran church. He said, I've just graduated from seminary. I'm at my first church. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I was in seminary for three years, and I never heard one thing about Bible prophecy, not anything that you talked about today. He said, I'm going to go home and call my bishop and find out what our position is on Bible prophecy. I said, well, that's great. You do that and report back to me tomorrow morning. Well, he came back the next morning. He said, well, I called my bishop, and he said he didn't have the foggiest idea what their position was on Bible prophecy, that he'd call some other bishops. He said about two hours later he called, and he said, well, I've called all the bishops I know of, and nobody knows what our position is on Bible prophecy. So we all agreed that we'll just be pan-millennialists because we believe it'll all pan out in the end. That's the kind of attitude there is out there. Today, every time I hear a pastor confess that he's a pan-millennialist, I have to bite my tongue and bite it hard to keep from saying what I really want to say. And I've never said it, but I've thought it. And that is this, sir, you have just confessed that you are too lazy to study God's Word. Well, why is there so much ignorance about Bible prophecy? There's several reasons. The first that I would give you is has to do with seminaries. The majority of all seminaries in the United States today are liberal. They teach that the Bible is not the Word of God. They teach that the Bible is man's search for God, and therefore it's full of myth, legend, and superstition. They have utter contempt for Bible prophecy. Therefore, they don't even have it in their curriculum. So the average pastor who goes through seminary is never even confronted with Bible prophecy, never taught anything about it, except perhaps to hold it in contempt, because most of these seminaries teach that Bible prophecy is nothing in the world but poetic expressions of wishful thinking and should never be taken literally for anything it has to say. There's a second reason there's so much ignorance about Bible prophecy, and that is abuse. It's a playground for fanatics, even those who believe in it, often a playground for fanatics who are more interested in in trying to identify the Antichrist or trying to set a date for the coming of Christ rather than talking about Jesus Christ. It's, it's sad. And because of that, many just won't have anything to do. In fact, there's many conservative seminaries that will not have anything to do with Bible prophecy because they don't want to be identified with the fanatics who are always playing around with it. But the tragedy is that Bible prophecy can also be green pastures for disciples. If it's taught in the right way, it can be used for so many wonderful purposes such as evangelism and discipling people and giving people hope about the future. There's a third reason that Bible prophecy has been ignored, and that is so many pastors consider it to be irrelevant. This is probably the number one reason that pastors have given me over the years when I would say, why is it you never teach on Bible prophecy or preach on it? They'll say, 
David, you're a traveling evangelist. You don't have the problems I have. I'm located here. I have to live with these people. And I've got every problem known to man in my congregation. And I've got to preach sermons that are down to earth, that are practical, that are relevant to the here and now, not some pie in the sky thing like Bible prophecy. And I can understand that. But they don't understand Bible prophecy. And so the point I make to them is, look, if you can convince your congregations of two things about Bible prophecy, you'll radically change the entire congregation. Number one, that Jesus is coming back. Now, you ask the average Christian about that, and they'll say, yes, but it's up here. It's only when it moves from here to your heart that it has any impact upon the way you live. So, the average Christian says, oh, yeah, but it, it, something's going to happen in the distant future. It doesn't affect me. I shouldn't be worried about it, concerned about it, or anything. Number one, convince people Jesus really is coming back. And number two, that is an event that could happen any moment. That not one prophecy has to be fulfilled for it to occur. It can happen any moment. When you convince a congregation of those two things, guess what? The people will dedicate themselves to holy living and to evangelism. And what more could a pastor ask for? There's another reason that Bible prophecy is ignored, and that's because Pastors consider it to be divisive in nature. They fear that if they get up and start preaching on a particular viewpoint, when there are so many viewpoints of the end times, that the ones that don't hold their viewpoint will get mad and leave the church. So we'll just leave this aside and not talk about it. And let me say that the truth is that it can be divisive if you preach it and teach it dogmatically. If you have a chip on your shoulder, as I know many people do, and say, you know, I know it all, and I know what's right, and I know what's wrong, and if you don't agree with me, you're going straight to hell. But if it's taught in the proper way, it will focus people upon Jesus Christ, and not the Antichrist, and not date setting, and that sort of thing. And then the last reason I'd mention why Bible prophecy has been ignored so much is because most people look up on it as being very complex. They're often scared away from it by the words, uh, words like premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, pre-trib rapture. They, you know, when I first started studying Bible prophecy, I grew up in an amillennial church that taught that, uh, that uh, we're in the millennium now, that it started at the cross, going to continue until Jesus returns, and, and uh, that uh, He's never going to reign over the earth. He's never going to reign. And, and so that's what I grew up in. And when I first started studying Bible prophecy, I thought I was studying something written in unknown tongues. But after I got into really studying it, I found it wasn't really all that difficult at all. There are two keys to understanding Bible prophecy. One is you must have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You must have that. And number two is something that we don't like to talk about, and that is study. You have to have the indwelling of the Spirit, and you have to have study. You know, when I first started studying the book of Revelation, a very wise person told me, he said, David, the best way to study the book of Revelation is, number one, always pray before you start studying it. God will help you to understand it because it's the only book in the Bible that starts out by saying, you will receive a blessing if you read it or hear it read. It says that right up front. And so each time I would say, Lord, I'm going to read this, and I want you to give me the blessing of better understanding. And each time I read it, I understood it better. I don't claim to understand everything in it, but I understood it better and better. So that's something I would encourage you to do. The second thing, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, is believe it for what it says. The greatest commentary I ever read on the book of Revelation was written by Henry Morris, the founder of the Institute for Creation Research. 
And he started out by saying, I'm writing this book because everybody tells me the book of Revelation is too difficult to understand. He said, I got news for you. It is not difficult to understand. It is difficult to believe. If you will believe it, you will understand it. Well, let me uh, give you uh, some reasons for studying Bible prophecy. And before I do that, let me just talk about a paradox that exists here. And that paradox is that we worship a God of prophecy, and yet we ignore the prophetic word. And that's sad because even though we are definitely living in the season of the Lord's return, the people in the pews are not being alerted to that effect. Additionally, they are being given little understanding of the chaotic times in which we are living, and they're being given very little hope because that's what Bible prophecy is all about, is hope in the present, in a darkening world, to give us hope about the future. What's happening today is convergence. The most important sign of the times that we're living in is convergence. By convergence, I mean that for the first time ever in all of history, all the signs of the times, every one of them have converged. There is not one sign of the times that we're told to look for that is not on the scene today. They are all present. It's an indication that we are right on the threshold of the tribulation and that Jesus is about to break from the heavens in the rapture to take His church out of this world. Christians also need to get their lives lined up with God's Word and start sharing the gospel with as many people as they can as quickly as they can because our time is so short. Christians also need to know that the growing immorality and violence that we're witnessing in America and all across the earth today is clearly one of the characteristics of the end times. Jesus Himself said, the end times will be like they were in the days of Noah. If you go to Genesis 6, you'll find that the days of Noah were characterized by two things, immorality and violence. That's what we're seeing increasing exponentially on the scene today, immorality and violence. It's an indication that Jesus is at the very gates of Heaven. But instead of understanding this, and because Bible prophecy is not taught, many Christians today are beginning to ask, is God real? Is He real? Is God really in control? Is He really on the throne? Because if He is, why isn't He doing something about the exponential increase in violence and immorality? Why does He seem to be nothing, doing nothing at all? They need to read Psalm 2, which says that in the end times God will sit on His throne in Heaven and laugh at what the political leaders of this world are doing. Not because He's not concerned, but because He has the wisdom and the power to orchestrate all the evil of mankind to the triumph of Jesus Christ. God is on the throne. God is in control. And if you know Bible prophecy, you'll have no doubt about it. Why study Bible prophecy? Let me give you some reasons very quickly. The first reason is this, the quantity of it. One-fourth, more than one-fourth of the Bible is prophetic in nature. More than one-fourth. So, the preacher who says to you, I'm going to preach everything except Bible prophecy is taking one-fourth of the Word of God, putting it on a shelf and saying, that's not really important. And that is a blasphemy of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture. That's Old Testament. We had New Testament. We had an evangelical leader in Georgia who recently announced to his congregation the Old Testament is just irrelevant. No reason even to bother with it. No reason to study it. Incredible. This man calls himself an evangelical. All Scripture is inspired by God. All of it is profitable, and all of it should be taught. Second reason that you should be interested in Bible prophecy is its uniqueness. 
Fulfilled prophecy is a unique characteristic of the Bible. Most people don't know this. The Bible has hundreds of fulfilled prophecies in it. There is not one fulfilled prophecy in the Quran, not one fulfilled prophecy in the Hindu Vedras, not one fulfilled prophecy in the Book of Mormon, not one fulfilled prophecy in the crazy quatrains of Nostradamus. The Bible is full of fulfilled prophecies. And that brings us to the next point, and that is that because of fulfilled prophecies, prophecy validates the Scripture. Prophecy attests to the supernatural origin of the Bible. Where else could it come from but God? Because of so many prophecies, hundreds of them that have already been fulfilled. There are prophecies about villages, prophecies about cities, prophecies about nations, prophecies about empires, prophecies about individuals that have all been fulfilled already. And I haven't even mentioned Messianic prophecy. So, that's another reason for studying God's prophetic Word. Number four, it validates Jesus as who He said He was, God in the flesh. It's one of the greatest proofs I know of that you can use with an unbeliever to show them that Jesus really was who He said He was. For example, let me give you two examples. Micah 5.2, written 700 years before Jesus was born. Micah says, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. But he says more than that. He says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah. Why do you say that? Because if I were to tell you that I was born in Springfield, you'd have to ask me another question. What state? Because there's a Springfield in almost every state of the Union. When that prophecy was written, there were two Bethlehems in Israel. One was up at the Sea of Galilee. The other one was a few, about five miles south of Jerusalem. And the one south of Jerusalem was Bethlehem, Ephratah. He nailed it precisely 700 years before Jesus was born. That's not a coincidence. Or one that's even more remarkable, I think, you'll find in Psalm 22. The entire psalm is about the crucifixion from beginning to end. But the thing about verse 16 is that he says, this is David writing 1,000 years before Jesus was born. And David says, the Messiah will be killed by having his hands and his feet pierced. There was only one way of executing people in the Jewish culture at the time he wrote, and that was stoning people to death. 1,000 years later, there was only one way of executing people in the Jewish culture, stoning them to death. But the Jews were under the Romans, and the Jews no longer had the power of capital punishment. So they had to turn Jesus over to the Romans, and the Romans executed by piercing His hands and His feet. Oh, this is so important. There are approximately 330 prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures concerning the first coming of the Messiah, but many of them were repetitive. I spent years studying this and trying to pull out the ones that were not repetitive, and I came to the conclusion that there's 109 separate and distinct prophecies about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled every one of them, 109. There was a professor of nuclear physics by the name of Peter Stoner professor in several California universities, gone on to be with the Lord now. When I go to heaven, that's one of the first guys I want to meet. And he used the mathematics of probability on this. He said he took seven, not 109, seven of the most famous prophecies concerning the Messiah, and he calculated the odds of them being fulfilled accidentally in the life of one person. And the odds were 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's one with 17 zeros after it. What is that number? It's one in 100 quadrillion. It's no coincidence these prophecies were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. It's beyond the realm of coincidence. 
Another reason for studying Bible prophecy is it is a revealer of the future. God doesn't reveal everything about, but oh, what He reveals gives us hope in the present. As our society disintegrates further, we're going to need more and more hope in a darkening world. And we get it by studying Bible prophecy. We get it by reading the promise of God that one day Jesus will appear in the heavens and take the church out of this world, that we'll go to heaven with Him, that we will be judged of our works to determine our degrees of reward, not our salvation, but our degrees of reward. Different uh, uh, crowns will be handed out. Different uh, 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 medals will be handed out as Jesus uh, 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 judges us. And then it says, that we're going to come back with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to reign with Him for a thousand years. And this earth is going to be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the sea. Then we're going to be taken off. And we're going to, in our glorified bodies, go to heaven. And we will be there in the great new Jerusalem. I think from that vantage point we will see the greatest fireworks display in all of history. As this earth is superheated by fire. And now that fiery inferno is kind of new heavens and a new earth. And then we in our immortal bodies will be lowered down in the new Jerusalem to the new earth. And we will live in the presence of Almighty God forever and ever. That's hope in the midst of a darkening world. Another reason we should study Bible prophecy, it's a great tool of evangelism. Most people don't think about this. It's a tool of evangelism. I cannot begin to tell you how many hundreds, even thousands of people have come up to me in the last 41 years and said to me, I came to Jesus Christ by reading the late great planet earth. Bible prophecy. The very first gospel sermon ever preached, read it in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost by Peter is nothing but Bible prophecy. From the beginning to the end of the sermon, all he says is, the prophet said this, Jesus fulfilled it. The prophet said this, Jesus fulfilled it. The prophet said this, Jesus. Finally, the people just interrupted the sermon and cried out, we believe what must he do to be saved. Or take, for example, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. This was a black man from Africa who had come to Jerusalem for the feast. And he's on his way back home. And Philip sees him coming down the road. And he sees he's reading a scroll. He waves him down. What are you reading? He was reading Isaiah 53, which is the greatest first coming prophecy in the Old Testament. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no, I don't have any idea what it means. <laughs> and he explained it to him. And he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and was baptized on the spot and went on his way rejoicing, the first African convert. Or consider these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The average Christian reads that today and thinks, well, Timothy must have had a New Testament. The New Testament hadn't even been written when this was written. He's talking about the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, that they are sufficient to bring anyone to Jesus by showing them the fulfillment of prophecy. And I'll guarantee you one thing, if you ever try to witness to a Jewish person, you better know those Scriptures and not try to quote from the New Testament because Jews are taught it's a sin to read from the New Testament. But you can show them in their own Scriptures where the Messiah is prophesied over and over and how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. Another reason for studying Bible prophecy is a great tool of moral teaching. We don't think about that at all. We think the prophets spent all their time talking about the future. No, they spent very little of their time talking about the future. They spent most of their time talking about the present, forth-telling foretelling. Their, their books are full of, 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 of sermons in which they're calling people to repentance. They're asking them to, to repent of their sins and come to the Lord. They speak against idolatry. They speak against social injustice. They speak against all the sins of society that we are faced with today. And it's a great tool of moral teaching. An eighth reason is a stimulus for spiritual growth. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, it provides hope. It inspires evangelism. 
and it motivates holiness. And what is holiness? Let me tell you, holiness sounds so theological, so ethereal. Let me tell you how to, to, to consider holiness in your life on a practical way. Get you a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle of that page and on one side put all your activities such as movies, music, food, vacation, all of those things. And on the other side, check how many of them are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Lord of your music? Is He Lord of what you eat? Is He Lord of your vacation time? Is He Lord, is he Lord of anything? Holiness is making Jesus Lord of your life in every aspect of your life. Another reason for studying Bible prophecy, it provides understanding of current events. I could go into this in great detail. I'll just give you three. Three current events that you cannot understand without knowing Bible prophecy. One is the decay of society. Number two, the apostasy in the church. And number three, the Middle East. Again, the Bible says over and over, in the end time, society is going to fall apart. There will be an exponential increase in violence and immorality. And that's exactly what we are experiencing today. Number two, it says there will be gross apostasy in the church. I hear so many preachers today talking about the great revival that's coming. The Bible has no indication there's any revival in the end times, and we are in the end times. The Bible speaks instead about only one thing, the apostasy in the church will be outrageous in the end times. Be doctrines of demons, people who yearn for those who will tickle their ear rather than call them to repentance. That's going on in the church today. I, I never thought I would see the apostasy that exists in the church today. There are evangelicals, at least people who call themselves evangelicals, who are preaching that homosexuality is okay, that same-sex marriage is okay, who are preaching that the Old Testament is irrelevant, who are preaching things like, of all things, there are many roads to God that the Muslims have their way, the Jews have their way, the Christians have their way. No. They make a liar of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and there is no other way to God except through me. So you can understand these things better, particularly with the Middle East, because the Bible focuses upon Israel in the end times and how Russia will come down against Israel. It could very well be that this invasion of the UK will ultimately lead to the Russians heading south toward Israel. We know they're coming, and we know this. They will be overwhelmingly defeated, not by the Israelis, but by God in such a way that even the Jewish people realize it came from God. A tenth reason. Bible prophecy is significant because it reveals the season of the Lord's return. We cannot know the date of the Lord's return. Anybody who thinks they do is just deceived. But we can know the season. I can give you scripture after scripture that indicates we can know the season of the Lord's return. In fact, Jesus himself mentioned this in Matthew 24, 33, when speaking of the signs of the end times, the signs that have converged today, he says, when you see all these things, recognize that he, the Messiah, is near, right at the door. And so, as I conclude, let me urge you to live with an eternal perspective. It gives us great hope in the midst of a rapidly darkening world. It's the reason that I put the following words on my wife's grave marker. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Think of that for a moment. My wife has suffered for 18 years, the last five years of her life. She could not see. She could not talk. She could not walk. Five years. And I read that verse to her every day because I knew that in the spirit she could receive it. That's a mouthful. 
the sufferings of this present. All of you know someone suffering horribly. And it says it's nothing compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. But the average Christian does not know the glory that is yet to be revealed to us because we do not know the promises of God concerning the future. It's a reason I get excited every time I read this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow, another mouthful. And it's the reason I get excited every time I see these words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4 where he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have lived as a, uh, loved as appearing. For those who live with an eternal perspective, for those who live looking for the coming of the Lord, one of the rewards they will receive when they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ will be the crown of righteousness. Are you a candidate for that? All I can say in conclusion is live with an eternal perspective, yearning every day for the coming of the Lord. Unfortunately, the church is not yearning. The church is yawning. In conclusion, let me say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for prophetic word. Thank you for all of the Bible, not just part of it. And thank you, Glenn Meredith, for being faithful over 40 years to preach the whole counsel of God from beginning to end. My prayer for you, Glenn, is that the Lord will enable you to continue to do so until the very day of the rapture. Meanwhile, I'm going to get up every morning and cry out in my heart, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, thank you, Dr. Dave. We appreciate that word. Listen, one thing that's true, just want to give you an opportunity. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you're not ready for that return. And you could do that here today if you want to. It's a simple process. Really, all you have to do is uh, let him know, Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner and that I need salvation from my sins and that you died on the cross for me rose again three days later, lived a perfect life to pay for my sins. I received that gift of salvation, and I give my life to you to serve you until you come back. You can make that decision here, whether you're listening online or here in the, in the auditorium. I encourage you to do that. If you've not done that, do that today before you leave. And if you do make that decision, there is a card on the seat in front of you where you can fill that out, and it's a gray card that says, I've made a decision, and you can check that and uh, turn that in. There are offering boxes, those tall black things on either side going out, and you can let us know you've made that decision so we can help you in the first few steps of what it means to live and grow as a Christian. Also, if you're here this morning and you would like to join a church that is on the mission of making disciples here in this city and in the world until Jesus returns, then you can check that on that gray card as well and turn it into the offering box when you go out. Or uh, if you'd like to be baptized, you can do, do that same thing. I would like to encourage you to give if you came prepared to do that. That's a way we worship God. And so you can also drop your gift in the offering box there on your way out today. Let me pray for us and then we'll be uh, free to go. Lord, we thank you for your word that brings us such hope and such clarity in the times we live in. Lord, I pray that you would uh, stir us to action, Lord, 
For those of us who've been casual, waiting for your return, or not even sure what's going on, Lord, I pray today would be a call to stir us up to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful, that you would keep us from falling away in the end. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to hold out the message of life and the message of hope here in this community and in the areas where we are working in the world beyond. And we ask all those things. May we live that way this week, Lord. We ask all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Have a great week.